You are listening to the Equip Podcast. This weekly course seeks to equip our church, and we pray it can help you as well. Check out more resources at rockycreek.church. Tonight, uh, as we're going through, I guess, the full uh, session number two on actually what is hermeneutics. You guys have been with us uh, going through this together, but I want us to look through just kind of big picture um, that if God took the lead to communicate to us through the Bible, we must take our time to interpret that truth diligently. And the task of hermeneutics, big word, right, is interpreting God's word into our context. So this is the goal, that we want to know God's word even more. So last week we talked about what the Bible is and how it's composed and, and put together. Uh, tonight, I want us to start talking through what does hermeneutics mean and how we actually start doing this. So here's the need. First and foremost, if the Bible is God's word, that implies there is an intended message for us to receive. Make sure y'all can see over there. Okay, y'all good? Um, If the Bible is God's word, that implies there's an intended message for us to receive. What a wonderful thing that God actually says, I want to communicate with you, right? It's a wonderful gift, a wonderful privilege that God desires to communicate with us. Something special when someone takes the time to communicate with us, let alone if it is God himself. And Psalm 119, which is actually the longest chapter in the Bible, uh, is, uh, is a psalm all about God's word. And in uh, verse 18, it says it this way, Open my eyes that I may see wonderful things in your law. That's a good prayer, by the way, right? God, open my eyes, why? So that I may see wondrous things contained in your book. Like, I want to see more of who you are. But I know this, that uh, physical eyes can see so much, but spiritual eyes see so much more. And so we're asking and praying, God, would you open up my eyes so that I may see wonderful things in your law? Number two, God expects us to work within our levels of understanding and our commitment to precision to interpret the scriptures accurately. So God expects us to work within our levels of understanding, not somebody else's levels of understanding. Make sense? Uh, God's not expecting you to be able to do anything that, with what that he has not provided you for. Our commitment to being precise and how we interpret the scriptures accurately is so very important. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, that verse underneath you. Uh, does anybody, are you Bible scholars out there, know who wrote 2 Timothy? Anybody? Paul did, right? So Paul wrote this to his son in the faith, and these are the words he said. Do Paul's best to present yourself to God, right? Or does he say, do your mama's best to approve yourself, or your grandma's? Because Paul talks about his mom and his grandma, but that's not what he says here. He goes, do whose best? Your best, right? All right, how many of you had that parent in your life that's like, I just want you, when you go on that test, do your best, right? And you're like, your best means I can't get an A. Okay, I want you to do your best. Make sure that you apply yourself diligently, whatever. Paul says to his son of the faith, do your best. I'm not expecting you to do anything else that somebody else can do. I'm asking you to do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, right? As one approved. A workman, that implies Okay, a workman means it's somebody who does what? Work. Okay, it takes a little bit of effort here, okay, right? A workman, see how we're really good Bible scholars already. You figured that one out on your own? You did awesome. A workman who does not need to be what? Ashamed. Um, folks, have you ever been ashamed by how little of this book you know? Anybody? Yeah, there's times in my life we're going, you know what, I should probably know a little more than I should right now. Or somebody will say something like, don't you know in the Bible? I'm like, oh, yeah, I knew that was in there somewhere, right? Okay, and and sometimes we feel ashamed, like we should know more than what we should know. Or maybe you've memorized more than what you have memorized, whatever it is. You don't need to be ashamed who can correctly handle, 
the word of truth, right? And I love the way he says correctly handled, because anybody can handle it, but that does not mean that we're correctly handling it. We want to make sure that when we're handling God's word, that we do it in a correct way. So God expects us to work within our levels of understanding and our commitment to precision to interpret the scriptures accurately. Um, about a year ago, maybe not a year ago now, but um, Gloria, um, my nine-year-old, she was eight at the time, um, in a gospel group here on a Sunday morning, and her teachers said to her and her group, hey, uh, we're studying First Peter. We want you to take the time this week to read First Peter, five chapters. Read one chapter a day. On that Monday, I got back, uh, back home. She came in. She goes, Daddy, you won't believe what I did today. I said, what? She goes, I read First Peter chapter 1. I said, that's great. I'm proud of you. She goes, it was full of so much good stuff. I thought my head was going to explode. And I was like, really? She's like, yeah. And she said, I learned so much about God's Word. I said, you will not believe what happens in chapter 2. She goes, oh, it gets better. I said, oh, you just wait, right? So she read, she read, and she read. So and at the end of Friday, I said, darling, you read one of the 66 books in the Bible. You're 166 of the way there, right? Okay, like, you know? And she, I said, and this is a smaller book. I said, but look. So we opened up the table of contents, and I started showing her some of the smaller books in the Bible just so she could start getting some good laps in and feel a little motivation. Time I got back, like uh, you know, a few hours later, she's like, "Daddy, I read Philemon, Jude, Second John, Third John, all these, all these small ones." She's like, "I did all that," and I'm going, "Look, that's awesome, right?" Now, now for her at at her age, I'm probably not going to send her into a deep study of the Book of Leviticus yet. Okay, right? There are just certain places that maybe she she's not there cognitively to understand. And sometimes also there's places in the Bible that maybe it might not be the best. Like you may not want to take. Uh, your five-year-old through the story of David and Bathsheba every single day of their life, right? But when that boy turns 16, you might take him there every single day of his life, right? Okay, there are certain places and certain times where there's... And what Paul's saying here is, hey, do your best, know your age, know your mental faculties, know your experience, where are you, and don't try to be anybody else, right? You be you, okay? You be you. Take what you got. Now, there, there's, some, there's some dangers on both sides of that, but don't get so complacent of, well, I'm just not a good reader and I've never been a good one and you give up. That's not good. That's not healthy. But you push yourself, given what you've been given, to say, let me see what I can do here. And I also want to just make sure you know this. The crux, uh, 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 the crux of the Bible, mess, of the biblical message, can be understood easily. Okay? So we go, we're not talking about the same book here. I did not say that the entirety of the symbolism in the book of Revelation can be understood easily. But let me ask you this. If you have ever studied Revelation, um, did you realize in the book of Revelation that there appears to be a conflict that's going to happen at the end of all times? You ever read that? Okay, if you've read the book of Revelation, I'm ask you a really deep question. At the end of it, does Jesus or Satan win? You guys got the book. <laughs> you got it. You got the message of the book right there. Jesus wins in the end, right? There's a battle, but when Jesus opens his mouth, game over. It's done, right? Now, do you understand the identity of the, the false prophet, the beast, and the antichrist? Probably not. But do you understand there's going to be conflict and that Jesus is going to beat them? That's the main point, folks. And so sometimes I think we try to sell ourselves short and get ourselves in a bad place from going, you can't understand the, the, the thrust of the biblical message. You can read through the book of Genesis and go, I don't understand all that stuff, but I, I do understand the main parts. And a lot of times we get hung up on those smaller things in the Bible that, honestly, people who study it for their entire lives go, I don't know about that, right? I'm not exactly sure. 
and we sort of make ourselves go away from it. We need to sort of dig in and set, keep going forward. I love in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1, where Paul says it this way, When I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. Right? I'm not trying to impress you. I'm not trying to somehow like you know, throw one over on you where it's difficult to understand. No, no, no. I didn't come with that. I was coming in what the next verse says, to preach Christ and Christ crucified. That's the goal. Not to get so high and lofty. Um, in fact, I, I think sometimes people enjoy, this is dangerous, but uh, Paul would say it this way, knowledge puffs up. Did you realize that? Knowledge has a way of puffing up. And sometimes, um, <clears throat> I think a good biblical teacher should be someone who says, I'm learning this, and let me show you how you can learn this stuff as well. Not, if you want to understand the Bible, you've got to get it through me. That's dangerous, Right? So you shouldn't have some teacher go, I've got this key to unlocking all the hard things about the Bible, and as long as you keep coming to me, you'll understand it. No, no, it's not lofty speech. It's not wisdom. There's just simple things we come through, and most of it can be understood. Now, since some sections of the Bible are challenging to understand, there have always been people trying to distort its message. Amen? All the time. From the very beginning to right now, since there are some sections of the Bible that are difficult to understand... There are people who try to distort its message by saying they have a special understanding of it and they will move it to where it should not be. So this is not new, right? This is something that's been going on because even uh, the Apostle Peter is speaking about it in his second letter that he wrote to the church. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 16, he's talking about, in, in this context, I just want to give you this, verse 15 and so, he was talking about that Paul wrote to these people at one time. And look what he says, Paul wrote to you, as he does in all his letters, when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction. So look, he says, there are some stuff, folks, I know, I read Paul's letter too, and a lot of it's easy, and some of that stuff, Paul, what are you saying, brother? This is Peter. Now, Peter should be like one of the, the high ups. He goes, sometimes I read Paul, I'm going, I, I don't understand. Have y'all ever read something in the book of Romans that made your head hurt? Anybody? Because if you haven't, you haven't read it. Well, okay. You did a drive-by. There's sometimes I read it going, oh, that's, that's challenging. There, there's some things that I read in Colossians trying to get my head around, and most of it I get, and some of it is challenging. He goes, hey, I get it. Peter says, there's some things that are hard to understand. And you know what people do sometimes when they find places that are hard to understand Scripture? The ignorant people and the unstable people twist it to their own destruction. You don't understand it? Oh, I got an answer for you, and if you'll just follow me for nineteen ninety nine, I'll give you the answer too, right? Okay, this, this, folks, this is how it happens, right? This is how it happens. Twisting that truth, trying to get you to depend upon them rather than the Word of God. Folks, where the church went wrong a long time ago was that, you know, one of the most fearful things that happened in church history was getting a printed Bible in the hands of regular believers. Did you realize that that's pretty a new phenomenon in the history of the church? It used to be that average believers should not have a Bible. You know why? They can't understand it. You've got to let the priest interpret it for you. Go to church, he'll tell you what to believe. Well, if we're not careful, we can still do the same things in evangelical circles where our pastor, our teacher, our favorite Bible, whatever, that's the person who unlocks it. He goes, look, I know there's some things that are hard to do it, but ignorant people, unstable people, they twist it to their own destruction. Now, once you look at this last phrase, because it says something incredible here that helps you understand the nature of Scripture. What's that last phrase in 2 Peter 3.16? As they do the what? Other scriptures. Now think about that for a second. Why is that important? 
Who is he talking about? What, what letter? Who, who wrote the letter he's talking about? Paul. So before there was ever a printed copy of this right here, Peter saw his contemporary Paul as the letters he was writing as actually what? Scripture. This wasn't some phenomenon hundreds of years later. Paul's like, no, 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 the book of Romans is inspired by God and is going to be contained for believers to read from here on out. What Paul wrote to you is Scripture, just like Jeremiah is Scripture. Now, you understand, this, is ser- this isn't hundreds of years later someone saying, I think this deserves to be Scripture. No, 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 they, they can recognize this is God's Word. This is going to be put into what God's truth is for us. And so this is a huge statement that he says here, something that Paul wrote, and yet it's God's Word. Paul wrote it down, but it was God's Word uh, pouring into that place. So the next line there uh, people would rather have God say what they want to hear rather than what need, needs to be said, right? A lot of times we struggle in this capacity. We would rather have God say what we want him uh, to say, what we want to hear, rather than what needs to be said. That's why some of us have our favorite books in the Bible, favorite passages in the Bible. And sometimes you even read some stuff and you thought, mm, I'm going to skip that chapter, okay? I don't like what that's implying about the change that I need to make right now. And Paul warned Timothy about this. See if you've ever heard of a time like this. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. I don't know, y'all. Can I imagine a time in history where that's apparent? We're living in that, right? Where you go, I don't, I don't want to hear that. But you know what I do want to hear? I want to hear pastors and preachers and teachers who tell me what I want to hear. My ears are itching for this message. Folks, I can guarantee this. If you want to hear anything in the world, anything, and you want somebody to attach a Bible verse to it, you can find it. Every heretical movement out there started with a Bible verse taken out of context and twisted. Every single one. So you can go to certain churches here, even in Greenville County, that might say church, might even say Baptist church. They are not the type of Baptist church that you think they are. They, they, they take this, and they take the portions out of what they like, and the things that they don't like, they, they take out a few years ago. Um, I was doing a sermon here and had a, a book, and, and I was acting as if it was my Bible, okay? And I was just saying, blah, 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 this kind of stuff. And some of you just right now, you just take whatever you out, and you just rip it out. And you can see people like, oh! you know, they're about to have a heart attack. Like, you just ripped a page out of the Bible. And I'm like, you're just so frustrated. I'm doing it. You do it every day with your life. And everybody's like, oh! I'm like, and by the way, this isn't a Bible. Everybody calm down. Okay, take your pills. Okay, like, you know, but there's this picture, right? Of you can imagine somebody just took a Bible and started ripping pages out. Folks, that's what we do. We, we take out what we want to take and we put in what we want to put. That's the same thing as someone literally just ripping it out and saying, I don't want to have anything to do with that. So we are living in a time like that. That's why the need for this is so very important. So we talk about hermeneutics. Here, here's a few rules that I want to give you and what we're really looking after. And we're going to start really diving in here the next few weeks. But this is, um, I think, hopefully will open your eyes to what we're after here. Um, you cannot fully discover the biblical content until you rightly study the biblical what? Context. Okay? Context is going to be a word that you're going to hear about 573 times before December is over. Okay? If you stay with me. We're going to say context a whole lot here because context means where the thing is situated, either in the book or in history or, or whatever's going on, you cannot fully discover the biblical content until you rightly study the biblical context. As, as we said, there's so many ways that you can come in and, and, and do this incorrectly and poorly, but we don't open up this Bible 
open up to a random page, stick our finger in, and say this is God's word for us. Um, because if, if I were to do this, the first page that I went to, 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 18 says, Then I will establish your royal throne as I covenanted with David your father, saying, You shall not lack a man to rule Israel. Is that verse for me? Like, um, is your dad's name David? No, it's not. So what, what does that mean? This verse was not written to me. Now, can I benefit from it? Absolutely, I can. But I have to understand the context. Now you go, well, I wouldn't do that anywhere. Yes, you do. I can do all things through Christ that gives me strength. Quote me Philippians 4.13 only if you can quote uh, verses 11 and 12 with it. You can't quote 11 and 12? Don't quote 13. We'll get there in just a second, by the way. But I'm saying, it's so very important to know context of where things are, okay? You've got to understand. Next is this. If you study the Bible out of context, you treat it just like the devil. Okay? And I want you to turn over to Luke chapter 4. Not just sort of open it up and point your finger there. We're going to actually turn there for a second. Luke chapter 4. You're going to see what, what I mean here about why this is so dangerous. If you study the Bible out of context, you treat it just like the devil himself. Because when Satan was interacting with Jesus one day... We find out something about Satan that should alarm all of us. He probably has memorized more scripture than you and I have. Okay? He probably knows the Bible better than we do. You go, well, that's, that should be good for him, right? Okay, here, here's something to understand. Satan knows the Bible better than we do, and it has not changed him. You can know all the Bible in the world. doesn't mean you're going to be changed. You can memorize it. It not mean you're going to be changed. Something has to take place, right? So Luke chapter 4, verse 1, And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days, and when they were ended, he was hungry. I'm so glad the Bible makes it clear for us, right? Okay. Well, goodness gracious, some of y'all hadn't eaten in 40 minutes, and you're already hungry. He hasn't eaten in 40 days, and he is hungry, right? And what is he saying? Jesus is fully God, but he's also fully what? Fully man. He's hungry, right? So Satan knows where to go, just like he does with us. Verse 3, the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, just command this stone to become Olive Garden breadsticks, right? Okay, just like, look, command it to become bread. You're hungry? Hey, if you are, I'm not sure if you are Jesus. I mean, if you really are the Son of God, this would be easy for you. Just take that rock, turn it to bread, and you could eat, you'd be good, right? But maybe you're not, Right? Satan knows this. Jesus is fully God. He's fully man. And there's not a lot of men that can tell somebody that, well, if you can, oh, I can pick that up, right? Okay. And he's going, maybe I can play into this, right? Okay. If you'll just, if you'll just turn it, this stone to become bread. What does Jesus say? Verse four, Jesus answered him. Here's the phrase. Ready? It is written. Written where? In the Bible. It's written in the Bible. Jesus. Okay. Side note. What does Jesus combat temptation with? Memorize scripture. Satan, you got something for me, I got something for you. This is what God's word says on this. I'm not going to listen to what I feel in the moment. Here's what God's word says. It is written, man shall not live by bread alone. Now some of you right now have a Bible. If you look at that phrase, man shall not live by bread alone, it's in quotation marks. There might be a little a footnote. There might be a number or probably a letter beside that. And you look down in your Bible somewhere and it's going to tell you where Jesus is quoting from just so you can stay tabs on it. Nope. Somebody may have never shown this to you. 
But do you, do you see where Jesus is quoting from? Anybody? Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3, right? Okay? I, this is always my role. If somebody quotes Philippians 4.13, big deal. If somebody quotes Deuteronomy, I know they're serious. Okay? This is my role. Okay? If you're quoting Deuteronomy, you are serious. Jesus says, man shall not live by bread alone. God's word says this. Temptation is not even a temptation anymore because I, I know what God says versus what you say or what I think right now. Here's what it is. So he goes, okay, cool. We can go there. Verse 5. The devil took him up, showed him all the kingdoms of this world in a moment of time, and said to him, To you I will give you all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, It is written. Here we go again. You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. You, you're probably looking around there, and you find out what. where did he memorize that from? Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 13. He's, here he goes again in Deuteronomy. saying, man, he knows a lot of Bible. What am I going to do? I'll show you what he does. He took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is... Whoa, whoa, whoa. Who's been saying that? Jesus has. Now who's saying it? Satan is. And if you look in your Bible, that thing's in quotations. He says, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Do you see that actually what Satan is doing is he's quoting scripture there. And he's quoting it from Psalm chapter 91, verses 11 and 12. You mean Satan would actually use God's word against us? He does it all the time. By taking a verse out of what you think, taking it out of context, and twisting it to his advantage and for our demise. So what does he do here? Psalm 91 in context. I'll go ahead and tell you what the psalm is not about. Jump off of high buildings and see if you'll bounce. Okay? That's not what the psalm's about. Okay? The psalm's not, put the Lord to the test and show everybody how cool you are. Right? The psalm is all about this. In the hardest moments of your life, God will be there with you. He'll protect you. Not when you push it and test him, but when the world tests you, he will be there. So, you see what I mean when I say if you study the Bible out of context, you treat it just like the devil? This is exactly what Satan does. He quotes the Bible verse out of context, not in the whole same. Jesus answered him, It is said, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. I'll be back. When you're weak enough. When you're low enough, I'll be back. But he knew that day that he had been defeated. Now, I say that to say, folks, if we're not careful, we'll find ourselves doing the exact same thing. Not really knowing God's word, but just using it and twisting it for our agenda. Um, this is... Uh, I, what I'm about to say is not a political message at all. Because this has been done by politicians on both the Republican and Democrat aisle for a long time. But the news was made a few weeks ago that after everything going on in Afghanistan, that um, President Biden took Isaiah chapter 6 and talked about the soldiers' call to say, here I am, send me. Um, that is a misuse of God's word in that moment. That's not unique to him. I'm saying I've seen Republicans and Democrats do all their life to say, let me try to get a base, and I'm going to just take a Bible verse out of context and try to make you back off on what I've done here because i got a verse for it. Now, I say that to say I cringed when I heard it, and I prayed for him, and I also realized how dangerous it is for us just to take any verse out of Scripture we want to, and it just causes everybody to back off. I got a verse. 
back off. This is what God's word says. And I'm saying that type of mentality is not unique. It's been around for a very long time. And so once again, it's not a political message, but it was just put out in front of our faces at such a level that um, I, I'm tired of anyone, politicians or just regular Joe Schmo like me, using the Bible to take God and try to take advantage of it. Make sense? And it, it just can be used at every single, every single context that if we're not careful uh, about how we do this. And so it's not to twist the Scripture out. And I, and I really do mean this. When I hear it, I'm burdened, and I start praying. Because that's what Scripture does tell me to do. To pray for everybody in authority, government authority. And that's what I, I know that's God's word to do, right? And that's how we go forward. Um, this next word that's on your list here, uh, I'll, I'll say it. You repeat after me. Exegesis. Okay. Uh, exegesis sounds like, if you look on the sign on the back wall there, there's three doors back there. And they say what? Exit. Okay, so there's something that's coming what? Out. Okay, got it. So exegesis, this is what it means. Exegesis, discovering the original meaning out of a biblical text. Okay? Exegesis is just the impressive word that you can, you know, show off to all your friends to say, what are you learning at church? I'm learning about exegesis. Huh, who's he? Right? Okay. Um, probably somewhere in Second Chronicles. Right? Okay, like exegesis, right? Exegesis is I'm taking something out of... Um, just to even one up. Eisegesis is when you're putting something into the text, which is dangerous. I'm putting what I want to in it. Exegesis is let me see what's there and take that out. Versus me putting something in it, let me see what's there, take it out. So we're taking it. So that X part is so important. I'm taking it out. What is there? And, and so that I understand. Then the next word, hermeneutics. We said this a couple weeks ago when I was just announcing this to you. Uh, the same word that if you think about uh, in, in Greek mythology, right, there is one of the Greek gods that looks like the front of hermeneutics, right? His name was Hermes. Remember? remember. So once again, just so you know, this course is not about Greek mythology, okay? But the, the same word is used in what's the front of hermeneutics or what's in Hermes' uh, name. Hermes, if you remember, does anybody remember what his job was among the pantheon of gods in their culture? It's the messenger god, Okay. He was a god that had the post office mail route. Okay, is all he did, right? He took one, or follow this, he took a message from this god and delivered it to someone else. Okay? So once again, we're not in that process, but the same word is there that hermeneutics is taking a message from God and delivering it to where you and I are. Make sense? So hermeneutics is messaging the Bible into different contexts. Let's take the message. Exegesis is, let me figure out what it is, take it out of there, and then hermeneutics says, now let me message it, let me get that message across, go to the post office, and it's delivered to us to where we can understand it accurately. Make sense? Exegesis, taking it out, hermeneutics, transferring it to us. Because this is what's so very important uh, as, as we think through it. So the Bible has something called eternal uh, relevance. Okay? Eternal relevance. It speaks to all people at all times, in all cultures. It's incredible. Um, this book was written over in sections of Asia and Middle East 2,000 years ago, and even further than that, in a different language that none of us have ever spoken as our native language, in a different time, in a different context, and it is the truest thing we will ever read in our lives. 
If you go over to Africa, or you go over to Europe, or you fast forward a hundred years, or you go backwards a thousand years, different people, different ethnicities, it is still the most accurate book that you'll ever read in your life. And it just transcends culture. It's just it's mind-boggling to me to be in a village in Africa with a chief of a village who has come to know Christ and is now trying to see how he can witness to the people in his village and hopefully that there's not a mutiny on his hands and he gets killed and the truths of the New Testament speak to him there. It's amazing to me to go over into the deep part of China near, near Vietnam and to talk with people on the side of a mountain and to unpack the truths of Jesus and it's the most real, just awe-inspiring, life-giving thing they've ever heard in their lives. It's amazing that you look at the principles that are in there and businessmen and politicians and world leaders and people that are on the streets and everybody in between was like, this is real. It has eternal relevance. It speaks to all people, okay? All times and all cultures. But on the other side of that, there's something very important for us to note. The Bible has historical particularity. That's a, hard, that's a fun word to say, particularity, okay? Historical particularity. What does that mean? It means... It was, you're also thankful I didn't make you spell that one on your handout, right? You're welcome, okay? Historical uh, particularity. It was first written to a particular people at a particular time in a particular culture, right? So today, I preached out of a book called 1 Corinthians. It was written by a guy by the name of Paul. And it was written to a church in a city called Corinth. And it was written in the first century. Guess what? That's different than where we live. Right? Paul did not write the Corinthian letter to us specifically, but we reap the benefits from it. But if we don't at least start with the fact that Paul wrote it in this time frame to these people with this situation going on, we'll be in danger of doing what the devil did. We have to respect that context, okay? And this is the way, this, this is the simple way to say it right here. Before it was ever God's word to us, it was God's word to who? Them. Whoever them is, right? Who Before it was God's word to us, it was God's word to them. Um, give you a great example. Um, Book of Psalms. 150 worship songs put into Scripture, contained it's, it's Israel's songbook of worship. Psalm 137, okay? If you were to imagine a more awkward worship song than this, I cannot imagine what it would be. God, I wish that you would get our enemies. I wish you would smash their babies' heads upon the rocks. Anybody ever sing a song like that in church? Right? Okay. Everybody stand up. Uh, happy Sunday. Boys, just shake, break their babies' heads against the rocks. Let's sing that chorus again. Right? I mean, we'd be like, what church have I walked into here? Right? That's a little bit shocking, don't you think? That's, that's huge shocking. What in the world? Why is that in the Bible? Who even... Who writes that? Who sings it? There's a group of people that sang that song. Just bash their baby's heads against the rock. Yeah, yeah. It's even feasible that this takes place. And what, now, now, all right, context, context. Beginning of that song says this. How shall we sing the song of Zion in a foreign land? Oh, you guys have been exiled. You've been taken from your home and put into another. Oh. That culture was taking your children and smashing their heads against the rocks. And you wanted justice. You wanted 
peace to come back and you wanted people who had killed your family to be made justice and you decided you weren't going to take it into your hands but you're releasing control saying God you do what you need to do for our enemies because we cannot manage this anger anymore is that, a, that an appropriate song now? context that's all it is take it out of context what have I started reading here? okay right in context okay I get that they're being wrong they're being real so before it's ever God's word to us it was God's word to them this you walk away with anything the next few weeks, I want you to walk away with this right here. A text cannot mean what it never meant. A text of scripture cannot mean what it never meant. It cannot mean to us something that it did not mean to the original people who picked it up and read it. Because if it does, you are in danger of putting your own spin on what God's truth is. You're in grave danger of that. Text cannot mean what it never meant. So, so the balance, right, of how we go through this. So theologians is that word we think about people who are, you know, just these brainiacs who just learn and understand so much of God's word. Theologians typically focus on what the word meant. Lay people, people who are just like, I just have yeah, a Bible and trying to follow the Lord, search for what the word means. You see the difference? Theologians are like, what did it mean back then? And, and, and you and I are just like, I want to know what it means now. <laughs> I'm not really concerned about what it means back then. I just want to know, how can it help me today? That's what I'm after, but more than anything else. Theologians are like, well, you know, back when Paul wrote it, he was writing in the city of Ephesus. And, and he's like, uh, okay, great, but is it going to help me in my marriage? Yes or no? Okay, that, that's all I really care about, right? So, so there's the disconnect. But here's where we can get to, right? The church has unfortunately made these two pursuits work in contradiction to one another. We think, oh, you're just boring and brainiac if you're trying to figure out what it originally meant. Oh, you're just being selfish and backwards if you're only concerned about you. What if these two things aren't opposed to one another? What if they're actually complementary to each other? What if the fuller, deeper, greater truth for you is found in helping it understand what it originally meant back there to them? And then, and only then, can we understand because... If God inspired these authors, we want to know what he's trying to get across, not what we want to get across, right? So the accurate disciple will discover what the text meant then so that they can rightly apply what it means now. So theologians, only about, you know, what it meant. Average person like me, I just want to know what it means. But if I'm accurate, if I'm going to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, I want to know what it meant so that I can fully know what it means now. So this work of hermeneutics is going to say, so when David wrote that song, when Moses wrote that down, when, when uh, Ezra put that to pen, when Paul wrote that, when Mark wrote that, what were they trying to get across on behalf of God to those people? And then I can better understand what does it mean. So with that, the context is so very important that the essential way to interpret the scriptures is by acknowledging the context. A lot of different ways you can even think through. Like, okay, there's a lot of ways, this context or that context. But it's so essential, context, context, context. Because if we don't know when the person's writing, what's going on, if we just jump in and jump out of Scripture, typically, I'll be honest with you, most of us grew up... Um, I'd be careful here. Um, if we just hopscotch all over the Bible and we never know the biblical flow... It can be somebody just always going on their favorite passage or their favorite um, um, stories. And a lot of us learn the Bible just by stories disconnected from each other, right? So what happens because of that is, 
If you just know David Goliath as a story about you need to be brave and kill your giants, you know what you miss? You think you're the hero of this book and not God. But if you read the whole story of David, David knew he wasn't the hero. He said, I'm about to do this so that all the nations may know there's one true God. I'm about to take your head off, not because I'm brave, but because he's king and I want you to know it. That changes the whole dynamic of the story. But if you just pop in in the story going, I need something to be brave. Well, I guess you can do that, right? But that's not what the story's about. It's about something even deeper and greater and, and, and even more mighty than we can even possibly imagine. So we have to say, I want to acknowledge the context. A text without a context is what's called a pretext. Pretext means this. I'm going to decide what this means before I even read it. Um, I'm looking for something to put. I, or I gotta say it like this. Um, I know when I first started preaching and no one had ever taught me hermeneutics, this is what it would be like. Hey, can you go and preach at this uh, event for youth? I'm like, yeah. And I go, what do I want to say? You know what I want to tell them? I want to tell them something about this. Let me see if I can find a verse to support my idea, right? There's a lot of people who preach that way. A lot of people who teach that way. It's not how the Bible is written. So right now, we're going through a six-week series of going through random passages in the Bible, which is not the typical diet we do here, right? Because starting in October, we're going to go to 1 John chapter 1, verse 1, and we're not going to be done until we go through all the book, right? We spent a year through Mark. We spent going through family proverbs, doing these different things, going through the Sermon on the Mount, taking us about four months to do that, going through passages. Why? Because God put the Word together that way, and we cannot improve upon that. So it's not just going coming in and out. We want to know the actual context. Two contexts I want you to think about. Number one is historical context. What are the unique historical contextual circumstances of a particular book that help explain its meaning, right? So what is that historical context? It's helpful to read the book of Daniel to know he's in exile, right? It's helpful to know. What's the history about when that book was written? It tells you something. The second context is what's called the literary context. What are the unique literary contextual attributes that explain a verse and a complete section of thought? So that means this. In the Bible, there is a beginning, a middle, and an end. And in every one of the 66 books, there's a beginning, there's a middle, and there's an end. And if you just pop in to chapter 8 or 28 of Romans, and you don't understand all the legwork that Paul has done up to that level, you're not going to fully understand it. So there's historical, where Paul wrote it, what was going on. There's also literary, where does it fall in the grand scheme of the book. So some tips really quick, and then we'll, this is kind of big picture stuff we're going to unpack a little bit more next week, but I at least got to get you going. Allow Scripture to interpret Scripture. So when there's hard places and, and unsure things of what you don't know what to do with, allow Scripture to interpret Scripture. You don't need to try to go, you know what I think it is? And in fact, I think that's probably the most dangerous question in the church today. Somebody read a passage and go, what does that mean to you? It really doesn't matter what it means to you or I. It matters what it means to God. Right? I want to know what God's Word says. Not what you think about it, what I think about it. So you go to, so there's a question in Scripture, you dive in more to Scripture to understand it. Number two, your ability to treasure the Scriptures is contingent upon your willingness to dig into it, right? So sometimes the Bible does not read like a Reader's Digest catalog. Here's four things to improve your garden, right? Okay, does it or not like that? It typically is saying, I want you to work a little bit on this. You dig in. And at first glance, oh, that's good. Second glance, whoa. Some of y'all have been reading the Bible for a long time, and you've been in that place going, how have I not seen that before? Because the more you dig, the more there is to see. Only God's Word can do that. While the Bible can benefit from academic procedures, it was never meant to be simply a religious textbook of information. 
Yeah, you can use academic stuff. Folks, if it's a textbook, guess what? All you'll get is a degree. You won't get a life change. We want more than a degree. We want more to impress people. We want actual life change. So the Bible, there are academic things that you can do with it, but it's not a textbook. It's never meant to be. The Bible is designed for our transformation, not just to dispense information. That's what it's after. So it's not just to say, oh, I understand all these truths. It is, no, I want to be transformed by it. So with that transformation, as we go, I'll say this. While God allows us to dig more, we see more, God is also not disguising what his word means to the average person. Okay? And I feel pretty average most days when I'm reading this book. I'm like, oh, that's hard to understand. How's that connected? And I'm working through, working through, working through. And this is what I, I do understand. Be careful of anyone who claims special revelation for biblical interpretation. Be very careful if someone goes, ah, I got it figured out. Don't you worry about it. Rely on me. People can distort it. People can twist it. Be very, very careful. Because I have sometimes even heard people say something like this. No one's ever figured this out in the Bible until I came along. I'm about to show you all something nobody's ever seen before. Really? Wow. So you mean to tell me people have been studying that book for 2,000 years in different languages and different contexts. Some people got more degrees than Fahrenheit. And apparently you have figured out the secret key of what everybody's been missing here, right? Folks, if everyone has missed a special understanding of a verse for 2,000 years except for a particular teacher, there might be a good reason why they missed it. You know why? It might not be truth. I'm the only person who's ever seen this. Probably a reason. It ain't right, okay? If this is the only person in the world who's ever figured it out, I'd be very, very careful there. Very, very careful. There's probably a reason why. There is a simple meaning of the text that is so very important. To understand the Bible, you must meditate on the Bible. And meditate... That word has been hijacked in a lot of Eastern religions to think that you cross your uh, legs and chant Om, right? You're going to understand something? That's not exactly the way it works. Our last two minutes here, I want you to turn to Philippians for a second. Philippians chapter 4. Meditate means this. Read it slowly. Ask good questions. Know where it's at in the middle of, of the section. And guess what? You start to understand what it truly means. You read the Bible very quickly, run through it. You've probably done this like I have before. You actually did take the time to read the Bible. Then five minutes later, you look back and go, what did I just read? You didn't meditate on it. You just read it. Stop and slow down. What, what does this really mean? Philippians chapter 4, all right? I want you to look at verse 13. Notice something even the way that we typically quote it is not exactly the way that it's written there. My translation says, I can do all things through... See, some of you say Christ, who strengthens me. Some just say Him, who strengthens me. What was in the original text was only Him, right? Now the context is Jesus, we know that. But we've memorized it and translated kind of a different way. But what do you notice about Philippians 4.13? It's at the end of what? There's a literary block of text there. What is it called? It's called a paragraph. Y'all remember those things? Right? Paragraph. Not, yours is not a paragraph? Originally it was a paragraph. Oh, originally it was a paragraph. So you can see in there they had little sections. And so some of your translations right now, it looks like every verse is a paragraph. New American Standard, it looks like every verse is a paragraph. They're all split up. Hopefully there's an extra bolded uh, number where a paragraph starts. 
I would just encourage you to do this. If, you, if, you, if your Bible doesn't show paragraphs, so essential for you to understand because paragraphs, supposedly, remember when you had to write papers? Supposed to like contain like a group of thought, right? Okay. Um, we could spend all day to make sure you get here, but I, I want to just make sure you understand something. By the time you get to Philippians chapter 4, verse 13, I'm going to tell you something very simple that you can figure out if you just sat here long enough. There are four chapters and 12 verses before it, right? And that's mind-blowing. Like, oh, wow. You have some special revelations, right? Okay, I know. Just stay with me, folks. Okay, stay with me. I'll unlock all this stuff. There's four chapters and 12 verses before you get here. Do you think those verses have anything to do with verse 13? Probably. Right? Uh, does anybody remember where the Apostle Paul was when he wrote this letter? Prison. Historical context. Literary context. Right? So we look at, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Right? So last night, game of the week, there's some Clemson fan, a Clemson player on the sideline. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, right? And there's somebody on the other sidelines, a Georgia Bulldog, going, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And God goes, oh, no, what are we going to do? Okay, I got both of them quote the verse. Who's going to win? What can I do? How can I manage this, right? I can do whatever that God calls me. Why? Because Christ strengthens me. I can tackle. I can catch. I can win. I can, you know, achieve. Go back to verse 10. Just, let's just, just do the literary context. Understand the historical context. Paul's in prison. Here's the literary. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Christ who, or him who strengthens me. That's a little different meaning, isn't it, folks? It's not, a, I can do whatever and I can always achieve and I can always win. He goes, even when I lose, I can do it. Why? Because Christ who strengthens me. I know what it's like to be full. I mean, full like my belly's hurting and Christ strengthened me. I know what it's like to be hungry. You ever had that moment where you were hungry, hungry? Like it's been days and you're thinking, where's the next meal going to come from? I made it. Why? Because Christ strengthens me. Man, I remember those days when I had plenty of money in the checking account and, ooh, I can do all things in Christ who strengthens me. And I remember when every collector came looking for me and I'm, Lord, I can still do all things through Christ who strengthens I've learned to be content in any and every circumstance. The good days, the bad days, the easy days, the difficult days, the full days, the lacking days. I can do all those days. Why? Because Christ who strengthens me. Just that simple paragraph. I think changes the message to something even more important than we think it is. You're always going to win. <laughs> Apparently not, folks. You've lived enough life to know that, right? You don't always win. But how can we make it? Because Christ who strengthens me. So, folks, just that simple process of just taking the paragraph and understanding the context is what we're after. Next week, we start giving you the tools about we're going to start practicing on here's a passage of Scripture. And you guys, by the time next week rolls around, you are going to be that Bible teacher I've warned you about. Okay? I'm just joking. Okay? You are going to be that person that knows how to really ask the right questions of the text and dive in. So to that end, Father, we just thank you for your word. And we thank you that for some of us today, we feel full and some of us feel kind of empty right now. And some of us feel like we've got plenty and some of us feel like we're lacking right now. But we can do all those things because it's Christ, you, who strengthens us. And we can make it. And so, Lord, we need to know your word, not as the way that we want it to be in our ears, tickling every fancy that we have. But, God, we want to know you above all else and your word above all else to teach us, Lord, how to interpret your word and interpret it correctly. In Jesus' name we pray. All God's people said.
Amen. Thank you for listening to the Equip Podcast. Make sure to check out rockycreek.church for complete notes and additional resources. You can also subscribe to this podcast and get weekly courses delivered to you. We hope to equip you for the work of the ministry.